Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 17th of February 2019. For those who listen a lot to my talks and for those too who come in for the first time, there's always younger folk listening for the first time as word goes round and round. And these days of incredible censorship because we are incredibly censored in this day and age. It depends who you are, of course. And some pretend that they are, and other ones really are, and can't even tell you because you can't get the word out. It's pretty bad because we're in a big training exercise, and it's a big, big world agenda to train everybody to say the right things and never the wrong things, which are your own thoughts, basically. Uh, never, ever say what you really perceive in your own lives because it will generally go contradict what you're being indoctrinated with at the time. And eventually you will not be able to use any electronic communications media at all, never mind even your banking and things like that electronically if you're, if you're deemed bad, you see. And that was planned a long time ago, an awful long time ago, back in the 40s and 50s, some of the top players that helped promote and plan the culture industry for the whole planet to bring us all under one system. Talked about this quite openly of, of how... You'd be controlled from birth to death, basically. And they would punish people who wouldn't simply go along with the agenda and rebelled. And say, speaking is a form of rebellion, remember, about something, especially if you're under tyranny. In a free society, you have all kinds of opinions on everything. And you're allowed to express your opinions in a free society. You don't live in a free society, obviously. And the agenda now is total socialism in, in regards to being controlled by experts from birth to death. And again, Bertrand Russell and many others, he worked with all the top agencies that were given the power to create and alter the culture industry through movies and television and music and so on, all the way through to this century, basically. They're dead long ago, but their, their agenda goes on. And others took over from them too for behaviorism and psychology and neuroscience as well, all working together. Academia is on board completely with indoctrination of children across the globe. They haven't quite got to, to the standardized indoctrination to do with all the new norms. They're always giving you new normals, you see. And you have to adapt or you're going to be heavily punished and censored in many ways until you comply. That's the real tyranny that you're under today. When something as basic as free speech is completely curtailed and even outlawed by law, so you're punished by law for having opinion that is contrary to whatever is being pushed from the top. And don't ever believe that everything's coming from the bottom. That's nonsense. Everything in this culture to do with changes is promoted from the very, very, very top, discussed even a hundred years ago, some of these topics, and how they would make you believe whatever they wanted you to believe, to achieve goals that you didn't even understand, and you still don't understand at the time. When you will deny basic, basic normalities, which are self-evident, when you're taught to deny that, and, and or if you don't go against <laughs> what you're being taught, because what you're being taught is not self-evident, obviously, then you're in deep, deep trouble. 
But if you can be taught that the sky is purple and you go along with it, then there's nothing that cannot be taught to you. And Britton Russell went through these techniques back in the 1940s and 50s, in fact, quite blatantly. And he worked with all the top, the very top culture agencies that were given power to recreate cultures in the Western civilizations after World War II. Before that, too, he'd been trained, heavily trained, in the behaviorism of his day. He himself, Lord Russell, was, uh, I say again, a lord, eventually. It was in his family lineage. And they were up there with royalty and all the rest of it for, for a couple of hundred years, at least probably more. And yet he believed in this technique of Fabian socialism, where by using money, it's a big powerful tool, money naturally, and socialism, which is collectivism, where you all must conform and act the same way, dress the same way, be the same way, etc., etc., then they can achieve their goals much quicker. But the whole point was that those who already ruled the system, which is the moneyed ones at the very, very top, the dominant minority, who employed academia, and they appointed, through royalty, for instance, in Britain, they could appoint various ones to, to different knighthoods and bring them up the ladders into being lords and so on. They could run the whole society with this multi-strated, obedient and loyal expert class at the very top running it all. And once you have socialism, then you have this you can standardized education system, a very big, important part of UNESCO from the United Nations. You can standardize education system across whole countries. So counties didn't matter and the U.S. states wouldn't matter. They'd be at the same indoctrination. It's all been done. All been done. And there's nothing yet to say you cannot do with the people. So I'll be touching on that today a little bit. Not too much because um, regular listeners know a lot of this, but don't forget for regular listeners that most folk don't know this at all. And many have copied this, this information and put it into books and so on. But the fact is, it can still be explained in better depth of understanding. Because understanding is imperative. It's not a matter of just spewing out details and facts and names, etc. It's, it's very much akin, if you understand, to what Mr. Jackson, who, who, who has brought, I think it was old footage from World War I back to life by colorizing them and, and computer-altering the grainy effect until suddenly the people that you were seeing, like grandfathers and great-grandfathers, are young guys, young people, in trenches and so on. And they're not like a different alien thing from the dinosaurs anymore. They're real people who went, really went through what they went through. And so it brings them alive. It brings their, their era alive. It brings even their psychology at that time alive because we can't understand today with the different forms of warfare. We cannot imagine where whole regiments went over the trenches one after the other and sometimes 60,000 per day, and all got slaughtered. It's mowed down by machine gun bullets. It was like rain. The bullets were like rain with these heavy machine guns. Nothing could get through them. And yet we can't even imagine again how generals could continue to carry that on for years, on all sides. But you do see that this obedience thing, and it's true that obedience to authority is a technique in itself, those who rule love to, to have obedience, instant obedience to their authority and no other authority, of course. And it works awfully well. A whole science in itself, of course, and even as to why you obey. 
But as I say, we're touching on that tonight because it's awfully important to understand, as I say, the way that you put things over to people because it brings it alive. And if you compare what was done 50, 60 years ago, even 100 years ago, and realize that those experts of their day, this part of this international group, based initially on the British Empire system, which wasn't British at all, by the way, a little clique in London ran it all, and you can't blame the English for, for it, because most folk were working class like everybody else in Britain. But they were used, of course, and it's easy to use people by using nationality to subjugate other peoples. The old story is the abused becomes the abuser, given a little bit of power, and they can be pretty well guaranteed to do that. And the more you abuse them, the more horrific will be the abuse they inflict on others. Uh, abuse is a, a dehumanizing technique to begin with, and it's a very powerful technique. So the British Empire was an expert, really, in using orphans, people who'd broken the law as young as 12, 13, 14 years of age, put into jails, by the way. There was no difference at that time for working-class people to do with the jails, the kind of jails were put into, or adults versus juvenile, etc. They were all put in the same places. I think the Daily Mail had a good, a good series at one time to do with photographs of young people from the late 1800s who were picked up in rags, children, some for stealing a handkerchief. Uh, you see a young guy there at uh, the age of 11 who stole a pair of trousers probably from a washing line or something because his own ones were ripped up. Yeah, he was on the streets living, and uh, that, was, that was Britain, Great Britain. Remember the word Great Britain when you, when you see in these kind of photographs and realize this white privilege stuff is a whole weaponized technique of the same rulers uh, using it against uh, the descendants of those who've survived all these horrors down through the ages. Don't forget that. And for those who want to do the hating, believe you me, uh, you'll be used in turn as well by the same people. Everyone gets used here because the whole world has to be depopulated. And once you, you have done what they want you to do and you've been useful to them, then they eliminate you as well. And you'll find that Julian Huxley was very specific about that in his speeches. But that's a different thing again. So remember, too, you can buy the books and discs at CuttingThroughMatrix.com. You can get the discs, too, going back many, many years of the talks I've given, many thousands of them, and the good quality discs. And that helps me to tick along because I don't demand money off anybody, and I don't sell you all kinds of gimmicks or whatever it happens to be to make money. I just still count on the few who occasionally will send something this way. And I, I don't live high in a hog at all, believe you me. And I, I don't have a staff to do everything for me either. I do everything myself. And this last week, for instance, I've been battling the elements I mean, really big time with snow dumps of two to two and a half feet sometimes. That's without the drifts. The drifts go up to about five feet at times. And I've had about three this week alone, and there's more to come in about three days' time, I think it is. And between that, at night time, I'm getting maybe minus 30 on the centigrade scale, quite, quite often, actually. And right now it's minus 27 or so on the, on the centigrade, minus centigrade, minus 27 that is. And on the Fahrenheit, it's about you know, minus 20. The way it works out to be, in a way, that's really how it averages. But it's always way below the zero on both scales. And during the days, this is one of the coldest winters I've seen yet here. 
And my winter started in September with the snowfalls. And the snow stayed, didn't disappear. So it's September to the present. I've, I've had stacks and stacks of snow. Lots of folks, I, I, I've had terrible troubles with the roofs caving in. I've had a horror show here trying to save mine. And never mind the digging and digging and digging and digging your way out all the time. It's like a full-time job now. The winters are extending longer and longer with heavier winters because obviously under global warming, it means that the opposite is true, you see. At least for me and for a good part of the, this, this hemisphere. Mind you, too, we also go through these natural phases down through time. Weather has never been static, like for forever and ever. You've always had sometimes a century or two of cooling, a century or two of warming. And even between those ones, you can get ups and downs. During World War II, you'll find people at the time who were children who remember that the roads were, the tar and the roads were melting in Britain, for instance, with the hottest summers they'd ever experienced. And they went back down to the freezing by the 60s, and that's when the boys that became ACDC left uh, Scotland and went over to Australia because in one of the worst winters they'd had then at that time. So that's normal, you see. If you think you're in a clockwork universe where it's always the same, there's nothing further from the truth. Nothing further from the truth. But of course it's used, this whole thing of weather for different purposes too. And the spraying has been quite open, actually, since about 1998. to do, And their talks on their geoengineering, if they were ever to do it sort of thing, then they admitted they are doing it. But it's only testing it. And this is from university talks and so on. It's quite open. They've been doing it for a long time, quite extensively across the planet. And with that happening, naturally you alter weather, and that is the intention of geoengineering. And then they'll blame the public for causing global warming or climate change or whatever it happens to be. What nonsense, eh? As I've said before, we've had so many ice ages with obvious warming of the and the disappearance of the glaciers in between to bring it back to the next ice age. It goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, long before humans apparently were even on the planet. But reality doesn't matter once again. Eh? Facts don't matter when you've got big agendas at work. So remember, buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughmedias.com and make a note of all the other sites I have because if anything happens to one the comm site, hopefully you can always get them from other sites there. They're all my, my sites that are listed there. They're all cutting through the medias. And... There's also Alan Watts sentient sentinel dot eu. Anything happening, you'll, you hopefully you'll get it elsewhere. You'll see the ones listed on on the com site anyway. Make a note of them all, because you never know things are really closing in. Now the weather, the weather, the weather. Eh? But there's no point reiterating the talks that were given twenty odd years ago to do with geoengineering or the Club of Rome, even for that matter. You know that really was given the task of finding some kind of, of crisis they could blame humanity for so that the authorities could step in across the planet with a, with a uniform system of control, controlling human population, number one, which would then control, obviously, human consumption of all things, not just food, but all produce. And they could bring down the population by increasing the prices of energy, especially, because energy is awfully good for human life and existence, including heat. <laughs> so if they could, all these things could be done, then population would drop, diseases would come back again, and you could really bring new commissars forward 
in a collectivist type system, even force folk to live all together in big long sort of uh, buildings like like some of the American Indians did, in North, especially in Canada, but some on the West Coast like that. And Montreal, I think, had some too, but long, long hut type things where the, the heating would supply everybody's heat and all your food would be done in a communal way too. That's the dream of owners. If you think you're, you're really free, no, you're, you're a slave. And that, that's always the dream of owners of the slaves. And they'd have an expert class there that would live better than everybody else because part of their job is to indoctrinate you all to accept your station, basically. And to accept why you, you, you can't have extra food or you can't have what you want to eat, for instance. And you can't have more heat when your feet are turning blue. And they could, and they will. They'll make it awfully, awfully acceptable as time goes on by using fake crises to make you comply. You can make children believe anything if you get them early enough. And they've done all the experimentation with that. There's, there's reels and reels and books and books and books of how to do it uh, for those who are interested in behaviorism and control. And that's really what psychology is about. For the public, to, to normalize a, to, a topic like psychology or psychiatry too, you bring out a Freud. The initial thing was to help individual sufferers, you see. But reality, no, even in behaviorism too, the money's all from top foundations that work for the owners of the planet. Now, often the foundations are owned by, the, 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 generally they are owned by the, the owners of the planet. They understand how it's, all these techniques are done, how they, how they work, what can be accomplished, how long things take. And if, if something, a, sp- a specific aspect of psychology might take 5, 10, 15 years, the change in culture. Some might only take 4 or 5 to change major things or major norms into different norms, it might take a generation, maybe 25, 30, 40, 50 years. And they constantly do polls to see if what age groups are accepting the new norms more quickly than others. So they're pretty precise. They know exactly how long it's going to take by their, by their constant polling and checking off the same topics year after year after year. They also do polls to find out how they can alter the minds of those who still have their own think, or wrong think, as they like to call it, as George Orwell went on about it in his 1984 novel, which showed you a tyrannical system. We're pretty well living through it, as I've said before, but folk have no idea to what extent it is, because it's a pretty painless prison camp at the moment. You can get by if you're hooked on the internet, or on cell phones and gadgetries and so on. Lots of cheap entertainment... Um, you're allowed to have as much sex as you want if you can find it. And they give you all kinds of substitutes for sex now, too, you see. All the, all the old norms have been crashed, and they give you all kinds of new things to do. And they promote them, too. They promote all these new things. There's no matter how bizarre it would seem to someone who's old-fashioned, say, a bit older, in other words. They make it all acceptable. Now, you have to remember, too, that the Council on Foreign Relations, which is simply a branch of their role in Chief for International Affairs, has branches across the whole planet, running every country pretty well. And every member accepts the fact that they must have world government. And the U.S. was picked after World War II, really, to become, definitely, to become uh, the spearhead for world government, using financial clout, by using the World Bank, which also is a private group belonging to the Royal Institute for International Affairs, as is the IMF, too. 
and the Bank for International Settlements. These are not um, public institutions, although they both accept public money from governments handing it to them. That's your tax money. So you're living in a system run by a private, a private group, really, with many branches, specialised branches, but it's the same group. And it took over from the UK or Britain, but London, the city of London, the financial institutions still have a big, big part to play in it, of course. But one of the major think tanks, and don't forget the CFR is itself a think tank, supposedly, that advises nations across the world. They're not voted in by anybody or even given a vote to vote in by the public. Uh, they just are somehow are there. They're grafted onto it. And we accept that because folk, most folk are oblivious that that's what they, these leaders all are. All the leaders are. All the party leaders are. It doesn't matter what party it is. And I've mentioned so many times before that the whole idea was to get away from politics to understand things. You must do that. And I've watched a whole massive movement in the U.S. that was the last really free um, system of discussion uh, where you could say things uh, and get a lot of this stuff out into the, into the limelight for the first time. And unfortunately, everything's been subverted and destroyed until... They brought you right back into politics again, very, very cleverly. That's what counterintelligence does. But you're right back into the, the con game of politics and parties. The same agenda will go on regardless of who's at the top. And politicians at the top are just there to, to have tomatoes thrown at them, basically. Uh, that's an analogy, at least. It's a, it's a punch and jury show, you might say. The public can vent their anger by saying, well, well, well that's it, we're going to vote somebody else in next time. And that's what you do who promises this, but the same agenda continues. It has your whole life, and before you were born, it's an agenda. Anyway, the Club of Rome has all the top members, and they belong to it, uh, and people who belong, uh, are on the board of it, in fact. You'll find it that even Jimmy Carter uh, is a high member of it too, and, and met many well-known names, if you look into the, the membership of it. They were given the task, as I say, to find something that they could use to dominate the public, it's interesting that talks I gave many, many years ago, 20-odd years ago, are now in different books, as though they came out for the first time. But uh, <laughs> I never mention you at all. And that's another part of the age we live in, isn't it? But anyway, they looked at all angles, even UFOs. Would that work But with the massive rush of UFOs or alien invasions? Different politicians gave talks about it. If only Ronald Reagan gave a lot of talk, little openings in his speeches about if only we... We were invaded by an outside force from outer space. We'd all have to come together to work together to, to fight the alien. That was a common theme back then, too. And when the Canadian Canada's Prime Minister talked about it for years, in the 50s and 60s, this is what we have, of course. It didn't work out. And again, there plenty of polls to see, for, and lots of sci-fi movies to, to really get the mood just right, you see. It didn't quite pan out. They knew that there'd be enough, enough skepticism that they just couldn't really pull it off to give up national sovereignty and allow experts except to rule the world, etc. And they didn't have all the scientific techniques to, to fake it all at the time. So they came up with uh, the environment. That would do instead. And they said, in searching for a new enemy to unite us. Now, this is for the people who rule the world, this think tank. Eh? It says, we came up with the idea that pollution, the threat of global warming, water shortages, famine and the like would fit the bill. All these dangers are caused by human intervention. The real enemy then is humanity itself. 
they said that would fit the bill, actually. You know? What they would bring in, then, is, is a socialistic planning system to save the environment and blame us all for it. And the, the, the general population would never catch on to the fact they're going to get taxed into the ground. All your, all your spending money is to go into taxation and, and to pay for vital resources and energy for your, just to survive. And even that wouldn't be enough eventually. It's quite interesting how they plan all through time limits and so on. And Bertrand Russell, that I mentioned before so many times, again, is a big part of all of this, a very big part. And he said in one of his books, he says, I do not pretend that birth control is the only way in which population can be kept from increasing. War, as I remarked a moment ago, has hitherto been disappointing in this respect, but perhaps bacteriological war may prove more effective if a black death could be spread throughout the world once in every generation. Survivors could procreate freely without making the world too full. A scientific world society cannot be stable unless there is world government. It will be necessary to find ways of preventing an increase in world population. If this is to be done otherwise than by wars, pestilences and famines, it will demand a powerful international authority. This authority should deal out the world's food to the various nations in proportion to their population at the time of the establishments of the authority. If any nation subsequently increased its population, it should not on that account receive any more food. The motive for not increasing population would therefore be very compelling. Understand how it's done. What he doesn't mention here too, although he does mention it elsewhere in the book, is that by the use of injection and injunction, they could literally reduce the population of the world. And also talking about tampering with food, altering the food and altering water, etc., etc. He goes into all these different things. He wasn't the only one. I mean, he, he came out of many, many think tanks. He worked with many think tanks full-time. And the, the, all these things, all the unthinkable things, were discussed quite openly and freely, and even enthusiastically by these characters. Another thing which these international groups, it's really one group, as I say, with the same techniques and the same agenda and same plans, and in every country, for instance, they give you at least one major uh, well-known environmentalist from maybe the 50s, 1950s onwards. In Britain, they had David Attenborough. Again, they, they give you all these wonderful wildlife shows and so on. But the whole point is to, to show, oh, look, oh, it's all terrible. There's too many humans on the planet, too many humans, too many humans. But you're brought up looking at them with little furry animals and think how cute and nice they are. So you, you, you tend to dismiss the, the rather, although it's sinking in your subconscious, there's too many of you. But that's how it's done. They've got to start you off for the young children you watch and say, oh, that's nice. Look at all these cute little animals. And you, you have, every country's got them, as I say. Canada's got one too. It's a, genet- a geneticist. And who give you all that again, nice for little animals and different things too. But being a geneticist into eugenics, human eugenics, and eugenics is all to do with superior, middle, and inferior people, and the right of the, the, the superior to, to survive. And the rest must eventually just die off, or as Russell would have it, eliminated, be eliminated. And then you also have Jacques Cousteau. Everybody knew Jacques Cousteau. They'd all watched his, his shows with the deep sea and so on, and He'd, he'd go underwater with his family and show you the various life, etc., and into jungles up the Amazon and in the boat and 
all that kind of thing. And you, you start to, well, I've got a decent fellow too, but incredibly well funded. And if you check where all the funding comes from, it's always the same sources. And Jacques Cousteau, what did he say, eh? 1991. Uh, and again, he's with UNESCO as well. The same, same UNESCO as, as Julian Huxley, who was quite open about depopulation. He said, what should we do to eliminate suffering and disease? It is a wonderful idea, but perhaps not altogether a beneficial one in the long run. If we try to implement it, we may jeopardize the future of our species. It's terrible to have to say this. World population must be stabilized. And to do that, we must eliminate 350,000 people per day. This is so horrible to contemplate that we shouldn't even say it. But it's just as bad not to say it. You know, these characters are rather blatant about this. <laughs> really blatant. And most folk never really gets it too. But that was an interview that he was given. At the, he gave at the time an interview by uh, Baghdad Ioleoadi uh, and Adel Rifat. And that was in the Courier de l'UNESCO, November 1991. So these great heroes they have all have the same speeches about how there's just too many of you. They never include themselves in it. It's, it's you. See, they know themselves they are obviously superior because they're, they're the multi-millionaires and billionaires working for multi-trillionaires. And it's, but it's so slick, isn't it, that it's hard for a person to reconcile a nasty thing like that coming from the mouth of someone who loves all these little animals that you grew up being, being utterly entertained with and, and overwhelmed with the wonders of it all. Hmm? It makes it easier for to come out of the mouths of these people. I guess he didn't really mean it. He's such a nice person. And that's how you forgive him. They mean it all right. They really, really mean it. They have a hatred for the ordinary people that they say have no function. The ordinary people, the masses of people, the consumers, they have no function. They really believe that. Your period of necessity is over. They don't need you anymore. That's true, getting back to the sexual different mores and so on, they've been pushed for years now. It, it's, as long as you don't have children, you can use any other kind of substitute of what it happens to be. They haven't even unrolled all the gadgetry they're going to bring forward to you yet. They just don't have children. And you'll die off. They're already complaining and say, well, you see, there's just still too many of you around. You should not have had children. We gave you all the abilities to, to get rid of the children or even not to have them in the first place. And they're not happy with that either. And then you get the double speak of world banks and so on, and even your own national bank. Well, there's just not enough people to pay off the national debt. Well, what do you want? Do you want no people or very little people, or do you want a lot of folk to pay off the debt? It's nonsense. You understand when something doesn't make sense, you're being fibbed to, put it that way, <laughs> rather mightily. But that's what you're living in. Amazing system. And it, it never ends. It really doesn't end. And you also find, too, that Gorbachev, I mentioned Gorbachev, too, I gave the talks at the time, years ago, when Michael Gorbachev, when he came over to, to, to run his foundation that was already set up for him in the, in the U.S., in the Presidio, an, an old a military base, an old ex-military base in the U.S., he was given the whole thing to run his, his green organization, you see. Isn't that weird? A guy who was the head... Of the at the time, the communist Soviet Union, and he's it becomes a swinging guy, you know, a modern man, 
with expensive western suits etc completely different from the old characters would stand up there with scars on their necks and and get blasted by the winds outside the kremlin giving speeches and that's what they presented to the world to run the, the talk. and he always he boasted he had the documentaries out there on his socialism it was anything but dead it was it was just simply moving worldwide now because socialism is a technique run by the the top capitalists by the way it's easier to have you all in a collectivist system doing what you're told being being indoctrinated with every technique possible to obey and do what you're told and alter all kinds of your culture and, and thoughts beliefs and everything else it's much easier for those that control it's a bureaucrat's dream and he laid it on the line about what, what the agenda was. He also talked about the goal of government. That was always the goal. He's a top Soviet person who was still a socialist, at least at the very, at the very least a socialist, put it that way. Remember, communism was socialism in a hurry, according to, to some of the leaders of the Soviet Union, speeches he gave as a joke about the West. You find that Gorbachev was rather open about it too. And he did say that they'd have to create a religion, a form of, a form of earth worship, he said. This is after saying in his own book that he was an atheist. But he said that this, this would be a new earth worship. All the children would be taught this earth worship. He's talking about sustainability and, and with the climate change and ecology, all that kind of stuff, all combined, you see. This didn't happen by itself. It wasn't an invention of Gorbachev's either. He worked for the same globalists who already ruled the world and owned the world and planned it all before my granddad was born. Anyway, he, that's what he said too. Uh, Gorbachev, he says, one of the worst, the worst of the new dangers is ecological. Today, global climatic shifts, the greenhouse effect, the ozone hole, acid rain, contamination of the atmosphere, soil and water, bend, industrial and household waste, the destruction of the forest, etc., all threaten the stability of the planet, and it goes on and on and on and on. But as I say, the whole point was to create a form of green religion, and that's called today sustainability. It's eugenics, folks, too many of you. And, that, and see, all the taxes and stuff is getting hammered on you now. Well, it's all your fault. You're destroying the whole planet. Look at the weather for good. As you get spray and spray and spray and have geoengineering meetings about it. It's a good, that would fit the bill, right? The Club of Rome. That would do it. And you find it, it's really amazing to me to, to read it all, on, all over again because I've done it so many times in the past. Canada, too, had Maurice Strong, and I, I give talks on him with the Rio, the Baca Grande ranch, they called it. His big New Age area, supposedly, where he brought in different uh, people who would, who, who would try to get new religion, a new religion formed, you see, using New Age techniques and getting the youth involved and. Uh, to see if they could create, a, 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 they tried gurus from India and different places from all over. Uh, Buddhists, Buddhist sects came to live there, to try and find a way that they would go out into the world again and indoctrinate. It's much easier to get a religion on the go. Gorbachev's technique, of course, was different. His used socialistic values. Uh, there would be a form of religion. See, communism was a religion for those who don't get it. You had to believe in it, a belief system, to be a communist. Even when it, when it definitely was not working, and you kept your faith, and that was that was a religion. But he still had that that belief that you could indoctrinate them to really believe in it as an, an religion. You see, a true faith thing. Whereas they tried all these different techniques, including religions, and that's what Maurice Strong tried as well. And Maurice Strong was picked up supposedly from nowhere by the Rockefellers and set up. What they do is they make them into a sort of magnet, uh, like a, a someone who will be a kind of CEO type 
without having to carry responsibility and put them around the oil fields to see how the commerce works and, and big business really works, etc., supposedly. And then they make them masters of the universe by giving them authority over... They're unelected people, remember, but they've got all these different... Than the, he, he, Maury's strong. All the, all the environmental things are implemented and signed by your governments. We're all drafted up by Maury Strong and the Rockefellers. For folk who don't know that, with the Rio Summit and so on, and the Biodiversity Treaty, where Maury Strong said to, to someone at the, at the, at the meeting, well, you, there's no rights for humans anywhere in this, you know, the trees and animals and trees. And Strong turned around and said to him, by the time we were finished, you'll wish you had the same rights as a tree. Well, no one elected Maury Strong, who worked to the United Nations and went into all these plum jobs all over. He was treated like royalty everywhere. He got red carpet treatment. He was a, gover- a governor general or a lieutenant governor. That's, that's the kind of like the role that he had. He literally got red carpets unrolled for him. Just, he had that in Russia when he visited there. Royal treatment. But no one elected this guy who affected all our lives. But he was a big technocrat. They're the implementers of things. Given full, full authority from the owners of the planet, obviously. You find that Strong said, in effect, the United States is committing environmental aggression against the rest of the world. This is a talk he gave, you know. At the military level, the United States is the custodian. At the environmental level, the United States is clearly the greatest risk. One of the worst problems in the United States is energy prices. They're too low. I'll stress this again, and Canada should listen, because our, we, since about 2008, the last bank crash, uh, all uh, food, which is energy, by the way, if you haven't figured that one out, has shot up in price, all of it, very quickly, mainly in the last few years, actually. And same with electricity. Uh, it's to go on up and up every year. Gasoline is to go up, and the carbon taxes are to get slapped on, slapped on. We're already paying them already, for those who don't, who don't know it. It's, it's included in so many things. And as folk try to keep a, a good standard of living, they borrow more and more money. And the Canadians are up to their eyes in hawk, basically, in debt, and try to keep up a standard of living. And they have no idea it's, it's part. Their, their governments have all signed on to this through all these different uh, treaties with all these agencies I'm talking about, the United Nations. So the energy prices, Maurice Strong said, they're too low. It's clear that current lifestyles and consumption patterns of the affluent middle class involving high meat intake, ring, ring a bell anywhere, all the articles in the paper recently again, consumption and large amounts of frozen and convenience foods, ownership of motor vehicles, numerous electric household appliances, home and workplace air conditioning, expansive suburban housing are not sustainable. Now, that's like a judge making, making his verdict and hammering on their bang, the gavel. That is the agenda, folks. It is not constants, but it's happening. It's, it's quite amazing. It's an amazing story just from him alone, Maurice Strong, because I gave a lot of talks on him years ago that no one had touched on, really, in that kind of uh, depth, I suppose. But what I'm saying to you is that nothing is by chance. I give the talks on... on uh, when the United Nations had their, their, their technocrats out talking and getting everybody to sign on to austerity programs. And the leader of the Green Party in, in the UK uh, said that if only folk would go back to, the, to, the, to obeying government and doing what they're told. This is, this is, I'm paraphrasing really, this is what she's saying. 
like as it did during World War Two, when the, the Blitz was on, and, and everybody was worried about could they survive, would Britain survive, would they survive, etc. And they ate less, like the rationing, you see, food. The folk were malnourished, by the way, terribly malnourished. It really showed in their offspring. Anyway, she was lamenting the fact they didn't have that kind of thing to... to so she, she hoped for a crisis thing, so we'd all pull together and just do what we're told, eat less, do what we're told by the government and agencies and authorities, and be very obedient. That's, the, again, the technocrats and, and the bureaucrats' dream. It really, really is, folks. And in this day and age, where, I'll give you an example. If you say something with all the facts at your disposal, and you're, you're being listened to by people, that's noticed immediately. Nothing is not noticed in this system that we live in. And out of the blue will come characters that will be elevated way, way above you financially. And they'll say amazing things and they'll put into the, and they'll use the same kind of talks you're given and often borrow your stuff heavily. And they'll bring in aliens or something else or some strange, strange thing which ridicules what they're saying. The intention is to ridicule, ridicule the person that's just hold, giving the facts out without all the bizarre stuff. That's called counterintelligence. That's how you ridicule somebody. They'll also use people, and, and Carl Quigley admitted this in his own books and interviews. He said that Quigley was, was part of a team of professors that often pull out when anybody came out and, and talked about the globalist, this globalist international order that was bringing in the system. that he, he talked about quite freely. He was part of it, too. He believed that the ordinary people didn't have the right to, to, to decide for themselves what they wanted to do. He really did believe that in the class system that there were superiors and inferiors, and then the superiors had the right to dominate and rule the lives of others. He really believed that. That's why he's picked for the State Department for, for teaching them and so on like that. And he also believed in the role of the Milner Group in the history of the CFR. That really was an invisible government. He admitted that. He worked for it, and he was all for it. But he's, he, in a talk he gave, a little talk, he, he said that, I have to admit, he said, he, I think he was pulled out to, to, to try and ridicule someone who had facts about world government and this, this global order that was coming into view. And I think it, was a book, it might have been a book called None Dare Call It Conspiracy by Gary Allen. He says, on this talk, it was in tele- televised apartment, he said, I couldn't ridicule him because the man had all his facts there. And it was the first time that Quigley had realized that, is that he couldn't defeat a person with all the facts who didn't go off into bizarro land and, and just presented fact after fact after fact. So he admitted that, that, that they, no, if you are genuine, you will, they will bring a stack of people against you. Uh, and top names, top professors, you name it, whatever happens to be. Or they'll invent them and bring them on the spot right out. Well rehearsed, well, do- well doctored for their talk. And, and try to ridicule you. That's how things really are, folks. And they also give you leaders for you to follow. Who will say the right things, heavily finance them, knowing that most folk will go for, they'll follow the wealthy. Well, they must be good because they're wealthy. It's a very simple thing. It's like advertising and marketing. They'll, they'll tell you. If your product isn't moving, up the price. Up the price. Make it more expensive. And people will buy it then thinking it must be good because it's, it's expensive. Same kind of thing. That's why they follow leaders too. And some of the leaders will have instant books across the planet. That's a fortune at work. Just marketing the books and getting the sales through all the different stores and, and chains and so on. So don't, don't be silly and think that everyone out there is genuine. Whatever you do, please, because nothing is further from the truth. <laughs>
to tie this in with what I'm talking about here, let's just look at this, for instance, a few articles here. One is about everything you need to know about global order is wrong. If Western elites understood how the post-war liberal system was created, they'd think twice about asking for its renewal. This goes in to the system that was brought in by the same clique who gave you basically the, the World Bank and so on long before that, who ruled the money system across the world. How they brought in, after World War II, the end of it all, the different bailout systems to help refinance the West to, to build itself up again. And the Bretton Woods Agreement too, and so on. But it's an interesting spin on things. A lot of us missed out of it too, unfortunately. But uh, it gives you a bit, a, a basic condensed idea. And it goes into the World Economic Forum as well. Now, the World Economic Forum should have no say in your lives, folks. Because you didn't elect them. And when when gangs of the richest folk on the planet get together to create policy, then you better realize that, that, that they either are a government and you're going to go along with them, or they're not a government and you better do something about it. Because you're being trained to accept that somehow it is some form of government. And if you want that, fine. That's your decisions. It's not mine. And again, too, back to the weather and so on, it doesn't matter about reality. It doesn't matter, too, that since uh, the, the USSR, as it was called, collapsed as a Soviet-type system. And I read it at the time, too. Many hundreds of weather stations where they collect all this data and the whole Soviet Union, a lot of countries involved in cold climates, uh, they, they closed down all these stacks and stacks, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these stations. They're not even brought in to the, the old weather standards now. They don't put that in to the global temperature statistics anymore. And there's, there's a whole massive, massive chunk disappeared. And so we get articles like, last year was the fourth hottest year ever recorded, according to NOAA, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, and NASA, which means that the past five years have been the five warmest years in the modern record. Remember, too, they haven't been keeping the record for that long, folks. And it wasn't up until the 1920s and 30s they even started to get accurate thermometers that were mass-produced across the world because their different countries had different standards, and there's a big, big difference. But remember, too, as I say, we had all these other stations across the whole Soviet Union that don't exist anymore. And I, that was all from the newspapers at the time, and I kept them all. And they said that this will really affect what they give you for global temperatures, so make it appear warmer. Anyway, if it seems like you've heard this before, you've had 18 of the hottest 19 years have occurred, they say, since 2001. And there's lots of good documentaries out there showing you, and, and mainstream too did it back in the 70s, where they'd put these temperature stations up and thermometers inside these cases, etc., in places that were in the countryside that are now all concrete everywhere. They reflect heat like you wouldn't believe, like a frying pan. And then, you know, but again, facts have got nothing to do with, with the agenda. You've got to believe it's, it's really bad, bad, bad. And mind you, my, my temperatures here, as I say, I'm getting longer and longer winters and colder winters too. So it's from September snow right to the present time. I think it's snow next week, I think, or, starting, or at least maybe starting Wednesday. I'll probably get snow up into March, maybe, maybe even April. So it's, it's getting longer and longer. And so with it, the cost of energy, as I say, for most folk for heating, of all different methods that they use, you can see what's going to happen. Eh? Unsustainable, unsustainable. You can't manage it anymore. And they'll move in. And they come out with all these big, big, massive um, new communal living association type systems 
where you'll, you'll have to move into huge blocks with all, all get fed communally and so on, etc. That will come under the crisis as they ramp it up into a, a war. It was a war situation. But we can't go on like this. We've got to live together in big, big huts and have communal dinners and communal everything, etc. That's how they'll do it. Another one, too, is Hawaii sees snow from winter storm for the first time in State Park in Maui. It says that the weekend storm left parts of the, the state looking like a, a scene from the Arctic Circle. And then you get uh, snow joke. Cold weather can cut the range of the Tesla Model S and other electric cars by more than 40% as it saps their battery power. Now, this is in a fairly mild temperature where they were testing these things. And they tested BMWs, i3s they call them, uh, Chevrolet Bolt, Nissan Leaf, Tesla Model S and Volkswagen E-Golf. It says also high temperatures can also cut into battery range according to the research. They've got a 4% less, less range when the temperature dips below freezing. Well, that's just below freezing. And on a centigrade uh, scale, that's at the zero mark. And that's, what, 32 degrees on the, the Fahrenheit. It's quite amazing, really, or 33rd degree. They, they love degrees in, in these uh, systems, don't they, above and below? <laughs> But anyway, uh, it can imagine where you're getting 30 below here, and not just uh, just below freezing, but 30 and, and centigrade as well, and even 40 or 48. Last week was it minus 48? Once you have minus 40, it's the same in both scales. They kind of match up together. But anyway, it says here the BMW i3 Chevrolet and so on performed far worse than during balmy weather. It says it's also found that high temperatures can cut in the battery range and so on and so on. But mind you too, it's not meant to last forever. This is a stopgap, so you don't all start rioting but when they say we want to end your gasoline engines. Because that's, that's the whole purpose of it, really. If you cut mobility, because that ties in with commerce, it ties in with, with, with the, the commercialized system and the system of buying and selling, etc. Everything is transported. You're transported, in fact. And if they can get you back into your, your stabilized little community areas where you're supposed to be and stay and live, then you won't need a vehicle. Agenda 21 says that in it. There would be no privately owned vehicles. For those who want to go and look it up, this is an official. It's not myth. It's not some conspiracy. It's signed. Everybody signed on to it. And they go in 2015 was part of it. 2030 is the next part of it. But, it's, but the Agenda 21 is for the whole 21st century in sections into the next century. <laughs> All things that must be achieved. Again, from the same group that gave you uh, sustainability of all kinds, Murray Strong's groups, the Rio Summits, etc., biodiversity. It's all the same one group that gives you all these things. They've decided how you're going to live and how you're living now, by the way. Then the other scientific group that runs with the minds give you all the cultural changes and sexual changes, things that you're going to have to accept and adapt to. And even maybe participate in because it's, you, you're not going to be allowed eventually to breed the period without permission. I'll put this link up too. Also, climate change is more dangerous than terrorism. Hmm. The head of Portugal's UNESCO, that United Nations again, Education Scientific Group, National Commission said that climate change was more dangerous. It says, adding that they put the planet's survival at risk. See? Oh, we're in a, well, it's a war. It's a war. And humanity, you're the enemy. It doesn't say that, but Maurice Strong did, and and the Club of Rome did, and the way you're living did. If 
Philip Duarte Santos said at a conference on climate change in Lisbon, organised by UNESCO, that the rising, oh, they always say this rising sea levels could lead to a human catastrophe unlike anything see, seen before, he says. Mm. Oh, no kidding, eh? Amazing. I guess these guys really do have time machines that go back into millions of years ago, and even thousands, well, that'd be quite the feat going back thousands, or even a few hundred, eh? But no, they, they just know these things, because they say it. If they say it, they must know it. That's all it often takes, is something to say it. The country's foreign affairs minister, Augusto Santos Silva, said that Portugal had a responsibility in the area of climate change, as it would be one of the countries most affected by it, but it's also one of the most determined in fighting its effects. So it sees a war, you have to fight its effects. Why do you fight? Well, depopulate, stop consumption, etc., etc. Meanwhile, 7 in 10 natural UNESCO World Heritage sites are at risk of being affected by climate change, they said. Santos, who's the head of the National Commission for the Environment and Sustainable Development, and again, Sustainable Development, said 71 of UNESCO's natural sites included in a list of over 1,000 that are defined as World Heritage's will be affected by climate change. So this keeps saying these things, eh? They don't give you any proof of it, but they keep saying it, my goodness. Well, would they lie to you, for goodness sakes? They're professional people. Australian court, I've got to laugh, Australia really, it's easier to push the, the avant-garde systems in Australia. Australia, it, it's got some things in, in common with the US. So you, the US doesn't realise it, but it's people from the Soviet system know it, they can see it. The US has simply continued in a, in a more scientific method the revolutionary spirit and the revolutionary cause that was behind even Marxism. They keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. It's, it's Trotskyist. It means it's perpetual war against all normalities. And any normality that's made a new norm for, for, for maybe 50 years or even 20 years, even 10 years, will then get smashed and must evolve into another new norm. You see, this is, that's Marxism with a dialectic at work. Nothing must stay the same for any length of time. And Australia has got a lot in common with that too, because it's really far left. And under the guise, this is the trick of it, under the guise of far left, we the people, these, the same world agenda can get pushed much easier when folk think it's somehow theirs, their system. So they reject a new coal mine because of climate change. Even though they have great scrubbers and coal and everything else now, and for chimneys, and you don't even see smoke anymore. But again, fact's got nothing to do with it. It's so... Comical in a sense, because China is, is, is building stacks of brand new coal mines all the time. And they're even importing coal. And they're even importing coal, I believe, from Australia as well. A member of the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, and they have, there's a guy there, obviously the same guy now, who was who the head of it, appointed the head of it. He's always getting into trouble for different things too. Again, he, he was offered sustainability and yada, yada, yada. He put money they was earning into private investments for brand new coal mines in India, as is telling the rest of the world to cut back and stop stop eating yourselves. <laughs> it's really amazing, isn't it? See, reality, facts have nothing to do with it. Reality's nothing to do with what you're hearing. It's a it's a, a a cover for a war agenda against all of you. Most folk will never figure it. Most folk will think, well, they'd never do that to you, even when top members of this global organisation say it. On television, I heard them say it, but can't really mean it. And Germany closed all 84 of its coal-fired power plants and will rely primarily on renewable energy. Well, that's doomed in that case. They will definitely, that's of avant-garde. That's the Maurice Strong agenda. That's the Gorbachev agenda. Uh, and because high energy and all the rest of it, you won't supply your needs. Uh, and when you get a really cold snap coming in in the wintertime, well, God help you all. Folk will die. 
and they want to, like Russell Bern Russell says too, you know. I think they only could have black deaths and black plagues, you know, every few years and kill off the population or the weak or the elderly or whatever. Euthanasia is a big part of it, remember? Euthanasia is killing people from children all the way up, folks, to the elderly. And if you get the Bernard Shaw type, they'll be killing you as adults as well because they just don't need you anymore. I'm not kidding you. This is what they... You, you don't understand the, the, the fantasy they brought, they bring you up in to believe in because you're natural humans, right? Uh, and compared to how they're, they, they think amongst themselves as, as a natural... They're their natural class system. They're very open about it amongst themselves. The Wyoming Valley Sanitary Authority stormwater fee sparks controversy. Water tax, all the things you need, right? And carbon taxes, there you go. So the higher bill came in the form of a new fee that caught some homeowners and business owners off guard. The fee results from a mandate by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. So here you have this agency is appointed, right? Making us laws now. And you won't hear the government screaming and say, no, it's, well, you know. They allow it to happen. The federal government demands that as part of cleaning up the Chesapeake Bay and Maryland, people in our area have to pay for ways to reduce pollution in the Susquehanna River, which flows into Chesapeake Bay. So there's now a fee as 85,000 homes businesses and empty lots of stormwater runoff fee. The fee is earmarked for programs to reduce pollution. That's, that's the con with it all. It, it puts me in mind of the racketeering that goes, and it is, don't ever think that there's not incredible amounts of people in on the act here of racketeering and, and ripping you off for everything you've got. At least in the US, they have incidents that have happened before, like they're, they're turning veterans from World War II, for instance, uh, who had shootouts when they got home and, and found that gangs... Organized gangs had become the sheriffs and the politicians in their areas, he said, like Athens and Tennessee. These sheriffs were, were literally grabbing the polling boxes at the end and running off with them to, to fake all the results to get their own folk in. Complete and well-organized crime. And the, the veterans, the, the military veterans, they got the keys to one of the armories here and, and they did get all the weapons and they blew up the, where these guys were holed up and got them all all these guys out. These racketeering sheriffs had deputized about 200 gangsters, basically, to be deputies for them. And they were making a killing, just arresting people under fake charges. And the judges were involved, obviously. Everybody's getting a cut off the fines and all that. They'll grab folk off trains and everything. Like you just pull into the station to arrest them for things and just to get money off them. Incredible racketeering. So don't ever think that you're living in some kind of Disneyland where everybody's wonderful, that the psychopaths out there can smell a way to get into any, any possible hairline crack in your wallet to get money off you. And when, when it's organized to the very, very top, because the whole system's corrupt, obviously. Come on here. Come on, folks. It's going to get a lot, lot worse when, when, the, when the agenda is to get everyone off you so that you, you, you literally won't have money. You'll be handing, you'll be looking for handouts from a government agency and the government agency will be demanding that you behave and talk and etc. in a certain way and live it in a certain standard as well, much below what you might want yourself in a natural system. It says, it's hilarious to think that we're going to be charged because rain hits our property, said Kathy Diamond of Wyoming. We can't stop where the rainwater wants to go. There you go, that's only a little bit, but you, you start tacking these things onto everything you buy, which is 
your your real carbon taxes and, mu- and energy taxes. How much did it make? How much did it cost to make even the wrapper for that chocolate bar? And you got these fake this new priesthood that, that sits there. They're not de- they're not deciding how many angels are dancing the end of a pin. They're deciding how much carbon you know. They're just by smelling it probably you know with 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 their sacred scientific noses. How much carbon it took to make that wrapper so they can really screw you and get the cash off you and make you suffer. And everything you buy is going to have this stuff on it. And again, rain tax like to become reality in New Jersey. I'll put that one up too. And where carbon is taxed. It says, this page reports on carbon taxes that have been enacted or proposed around the world, including the UK, Ireland, Australia, Chile, Sweden, other nations, including Finland, Great Britain, and New Zealand. And Canada has its own page. This is where we summarize its plan to adopt a nationwide carbon price in 2018 and also report in detail on British Columbia's carbon tax. The Western Hemisphere is, if not the world's most comprehensive and transparent carbon tax. And it's all parts of the debris from the Paris Climate Pledge Tracker. Something that you don't vote in, you don't vote either for these self-confessed NGO groups that say, we're environmentalists. Well, we all live in the environment, folks, so no one is above you. It's all a con to bring you into utter austerity, which will bring in disease when you can't eat properly, folks, or heat yourself. And when the ration medicine, and that is coming too, they're already doing it in some countries. In Canada, they can offer you euthanasia pill rather than treat you. If they think it's economically, <laughs> you know, you got to think of this. Don't ever think you're living in some, again, Disneyland nonsense. You're not. And there's tremendously ruthless people, very successful at the top. That's who gets to the top, are ruthless people. Just like bailiffs that have no problem going to folk and getting kicking folks uh, out of their homes because they owe money on something and watching them on the street with a heap of their belongings. Bailiffs have no problem. You can hire psychopaths, they're a dime a dozen out there in every country. You also have lots of other taxes as well for all the other free things they're supposedly bringing in. Nothing's free. Everything costs you. Government doesn't, doesn't give out cash. To no, government takes your money and puts it across the planet. Government doesn't create anything except misery and con games. Another article I want to just tack in too is how ring and recognition, R-E-K for recognition, the way it's spelled here, uh, set the stage for consumer general mass surveillance. I'll put this in. Every home in the street, neighborhood, or in town had a ring surveillance system. Then individual cameras taken together could construct an extremely ultimate picture of daily public life. They've got total facial recognition across, they put in all, all the, well, they've got stacks of them in most of the countries already. This is the system you're into. They even have movies out on, about this now too, where they're taking it. One is called Anon, I believe it is. And you can read up on that, or maybe get it if you can find it. That shows you where they're taking you. You're always pre-programmed in advance for all this stuff. And don't forget, China has those glasses. They had advertised glasses that the police wear now in, police, in, in train stations. And, and all the, as the faces come up, the names and, and the IDs of the people instantly pop up on the glasses that they're wearing. They see them, who they are. IBM builds a more diverse million-face data set to help reduce bias in artificial intelligence. Quite a good article too. Multi-layered problem, and so on and so on. 
and facial recognition is being relied on for every everything from unlocking your phone to your front door. It's being used to estimate your mood or likelihood to commit criminal acts. That's, that's pre-crime, basically. Like Minority Report, the movie. We may as well admit many of these applications are bunk, but even the good ones often fail simple tests like working adequately with people of certain skin tones or ages. So they're trying to improve all of that as well. Two is diversity in faces data set. It's a large and diverse data set that seeks to advance the study of fairness and accuracy in facial recognition technology. Fairness? How can computers be... They're not human. How can you be fair in anything? Hmm? The first of its kind available to the global research community, DIF provides a data set of annotations of one million human facial images. What a horror show. It's pretty well here, but going to get worse. And you'll be looked upon suspicion if you even voice what I've just said. Also, Uncle Sam wants your DNA, the FBI's diabolical plan to create a nation of suspects. And how, yeah, how they're into all of this kind of thing, too, to get your DNA database. And, of course, you know that, too, from the different uh, free apps that you use. You know, the, the very popular ones ask about your DNA. Let's find your family history for you. It's all for you, isn't it? You know something? You can't help people that fall for everything. You can't help them. You really can't. Well, it's free. It's free. Nothing is free. It says, anyway, Uncle Sam wants your DNA. The New York Times reported that the New York, the science fiction future, which, in which police can swiftly identify robbers and murderers from discarded soda cans and cigarette butts, has arrived. In 2017, President Donald Trump signed into law the Rapid DNA Act which starting this year will enable approved police booking stations in several states to connect their rapid DNA machines to CODIS, the National DNA Database, and genetic fingerprint is set to become as routine as the old-fashioned kind, it says. Now, it's true, Trump, for folk who don't listen, uh, he did say before he got in that he was going to massively expand the surveillance systems and technology. Well, he is. The same agenda would continue regardless of what party or person it was in. They're all sworn to the same agenda. They're all the rest of it is just drama and soap operas for you to pass the time and get angry about. One of the best at-home DNA testing companies is secretly sharing your data with the FBI. To test DNA immediately following arrest, President Trump has signed the Rapid DNA Act into law. The courts which have ruled that police can routinely take DNA samples from people who are arrested but not yet convicted of a crime. And local police agencies, which are chomping at the bit to acquire this new crime-fighting gadgetry, was embarking on a diabolical campaign to create a nation of suspects predicated on a massive national DNA database. So Family Tree DNA, one of the pioneers of the growing market for at-home consumer genetic testing, confirmed a report from BuzzFeed that it has quietly granted the Federal Bureau of Investigation access to its vast trove of nearly 2 million genetic profiles. And it goes on and on and on. And it says here, the move is a significant concern to much more than just privacy-minded family tree DNA customers. As Bloomberg notes, one person sharing genetic information, say one family member, right, also exposes those to whom, whom they're closely related. That's how police caught the likely Golden State uh, killer. And here is the stunning statistics. According to the 2018 study, only 2% of the population needs to have done a DNA test for virtually everyone's genetic information to be represented in that data. There you go. Who didn't get that name, eh? <laughs> Also, clicking on terrorist propaganda even once could mean 15 years in prison under new law. 
and the UN inspector accused government of straying towards thought crime with the law. So anyone who views terrorist propaganda once online can be jailed for up to 15 years under new laws that have sparked human rights concerns. And this is in Britain, I believe. MPs have urged the government to scrap plans to criminalise viewing of information useful to a person committing or preparing an act of terrorism, which goes further than the much-used laws. Now, you know darn well that no matter what they say it's for, they'll expand it to every thought that you have that's not quite politically correct. It says a United Nations inspector accused the government of straying towards thought crime with a proposal which originally stated that people would have to access propaganda. Now, who's defining what was propaganda, eh? on three or more different occasions to commit a terror offence. So looking at something three times or in, in different sites maybe for a, a topic is going to be a, called a terror offence. And eventually it will be, maybe in five years' time, who knows, maybe in a bit longer, depends. They'll, they'll do their polls to see how well it's working. So everyone's got the same opinions and, and so on, and you'll all see the th- same thing. You'll look at the same stuff and, on the internet. They pretty well know how long it'll take to train you all. And, and punish the ones who don't, obviously. The threat's often enough for most folk, a few warnings. Then they'll come in the door and, and give you a warning. That's all coming. This is tyranny, folks. It was meant to be this way, because the internet was never going to be used to give you freedom. <laughs> the, the last thing that, that uh, power and control would ever give you is freedom. But they used the technique beautifully, the, the, the mousetrap, didn't they? Here's the cheese, there's the mousetrap. Go and play yourselves, it's all free Until you can't do without it In fact, you can't do without it, even do your banking and so on And then they'll punish you It's something for something you need, which is the system The internet to use, to even to survive And that's what they're going to do Like Bertie Russell said, they would use something like this And he's, he was dead on They never change their agenda, you know One click and you're out UK makes an offence to view terrorist propaganda even once this is oh snap UK netizens better hope they don't have twitchy mouse click finger. This is all to scare people off too, and it will work more. Remember, law and and is, is and even police are used with uh, the threat of intimidation. They'll intimidate you and coerce you into doing what they want you to do. And if that doesn't work, then force is used. That's what it is. That's how law all law is the same way. And so that's the system you're living within, and most folk don't even know it. So anyway. I don't tell folk it's all, you know, uh, abandon hope, all ye who enter here. I'm just telling you that the world is, and was designed to become a rather evil place by the experts. I think the only time people had a bit of freedom was probably before the Normans came in, for instance, to to uh, Europe and then through Britain. People in rural areas of uh, scattered across the, the planet lived uh, a bit more freer in small tribes. But once money came into being, forget it, folks, that's when money is power over others, you see. And money can then buy different systems. You can buy the food system until you've got nothing left, until you join them and do what you're told. And then you become dependent on that one system to, and the money system to buy the food that you once grew yourself, you see. Money's always been about power and dominating other people and having them do what you want. You can hire whole armies with money. Again, as, as I'm way over time. As I, wasn't going to, I wasn't even sure what I was going to do this week because, as I say, every day, every day has been a battle here with the global warming and dumping all the snow on me and ice, even ice storms and things like that. For myself, 
from a very cold in Northern Ontario, Canada. I'm Alan Watt. It's good night. May your God, your God's go with you. <laughs>